One of the things that God loves to do in the scriptures is to give us pictures about the cross, uh, about salvation, about how he was going to rescue the world. In fact, I would uh, strongly argue that really the whole of the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament is doing that very thing, is trying to show us these pictures about who God is and our condition before him and how he is going to save the world. And some of the, the greatest pictures of those things are found in books that we often don't get into. And certainly one of those books is the book of Zechariah. The whole book of Zechariah is what we might look at as crazy visions and amazing prophecies that are they're giving these wild pictures about what God is going to do. And sometimes we can approach those and go, well, I don't know what to do with those uh, wild pictures. And I want to show you uh, Zechariah 3 this morning because it really gives a, a powerful picture and an amazing image of what Jesus was ultimately going to do for the world uh, when he came and gave his life on the cross. Um, uh, Zechariah might be a little bit trickier to, to find if you're using a pew Bible. That's page 794. Uh, if you're, you got your own Bible, if you can find Matthew and hunt backward just a couple books, you'll, you'll be there. Those, those minor prophets we sometimes don't spend a lot of time in. And yet really some great pictures are given there to us. As was just read for us, you, you are starting with a vision of, of a high priest. And this high priest is named Joshua, and high priests represent the people before God. That was their function throughout the Old Testament. And here you see the same thing, is that there is a picture here of the high priest in verse 1. He is standing before the angel of the Lord, but there is a problem. And the problem is that verse 1 says there is Satan who is standing nearby, and he is accusing. Now, you shouldn't be surprised that Satan is accusing. In fact, the name Satan means the accuser. That's his job. What a terrible job. He is up there and he is accusing people all of the time. You see that in the first two chapters of the book of Job. He is roaming to and fro over the earth and he is accusing the people of the world. He's accusing the people of God. And you'll notice that in our passage that was read for us, Satan's accusations are accurate. Notice in verse 3 it says that the high priest was wearing filthy clothing, filthy garments. Now, there is a, a couple of things to, to consider with the high priest uh, wearing filthy garments. Uh, number one, when you read scriptures like in Exodus that tell us what the high priest was supposed to wear... He wore clothing that was quite amazing. He had a breastplate that had gems on it and he had a clean turban and he would wear beautiful clothing that was clean before he would begin his acts of service and then he would be sprinkling blood and doing all those works. So for him to have filthy garments is a problem. But the problem worsens that there's not really a good way to move into English what these filthy garments look like. All of the major translations read filthy as the word. If you go read some scholars, they will tell you that is a word that is used to either speak of excrement or vomit. So please envision 
the high priest Joshua, his clothes are not just dirty. They are an abomination. They are stomach turning. They are gross, defiled, awful, and worthy of condemnation and accusation. He is standing there in the presence of God in these horrifying, filthy garments. And those accusations would be right. But notice in verse 2 what you see God doing. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a firebrand that has been plucked out from the fire? What a neat picture here is that here is the high priest, his filthy garments, they are are full of grossness, and he represents the people. So he's standing there, that's all of their sins, that's all of their filth, he just represents the people in that way. And would you not expect the Lord to rebuke the high priest? Why are you standing before me in such horrifying garments? That's not what happens. The Lord doesn't rebuke the high priest. The Lord rebukes Satan. The Lord turns to Satan and says, I'm rebuking you. Don't you know that I have rescued them from the fire? That's the imagery of like, there being this twig that is in the fire, and here it is being burned up, and at the very last moment it's being plucked out of the fire and rescued. Don't you know that my people, Jerusalem, the people of God, don't you know that I've rescued them from the fire? And so the accusation is not against his people, though as deserved it would be. He turns and accuses Satan. Now immediately our minds would wonder what has happened here. That God is now willing to say, I have pulled them out of the fire. Rather than bringing the rightful judgment and condemnation on my people, I've rescued them. And instead, I'm going to rebuke you, Satan. Well, notice what you have for a picture that's given here. Verse 4. The angel then, who was standing before him, said, Remove the filthy garments from him. And then to him said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with these pure robes, pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, Then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Notice what God does is just a complete reversal. Rather than accusing his people and accusing the high priest, accusing Satan and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove the filthy clothes off the high priest. Massive reversal is going to happen. And instead of these Filthy, disgusting, horrifying, gross clothes. Let's put pure clothes on him. Let's put the clean clothes on him. Let's clean him up. And then let's put him back in service to God. What a beautiful picture because I would hope this image will for once and for all solidify in your mind 
that it is absolutely impossible for you to be too filthy for God. Because this is the most disgusting picture you could have. And God comes along and says, I'll clean that up. If you've had kids, you've probably had this horrifying thing happen to you. It's happened to me. Um... <laughs> uh, when my daughter Paige was a few months old, I remember one time I was sitting there in a rocking chair and we were just rocking away and my wife was gone somewhere and I was just rocking her all by myself and the rest by herself. And she just unloaded horrifying vomit like I thought her head was going to spin when she was done. It was just everywhere and just sitting there and I've got no help. And so you know what I did with her. I said, you're too filthy. I'm going to have to go find another daughter. That's, that's what's going to have to happen here. You've, you've ruined it. I, I'm done. We're going to have to trade you in. Of course not. Take her to the bathroom, all cleaned up, wash her off, clean clothes put on. That's what God's picturing for us. We look at ourselves and go, oh, we're so filthy. God could never deal with anything with us because we're so filthy. Would you ever think of your child that way? Would you look at your kid and go, yeah, I guess they're too dirty. They were out there playing in the yard. Look at all that mud. We're going to have to find a new kid. You know, this is not going to work. Of course not. This is the image of God's love that's on display right here where God is saying, I will take away those filthy clothes. I will remove them. And not only will I remove them, I'm going to put clean clothes on you. I'm going to reverse your condition. I know that you are just full of sin. I know that it is wretched. I understand how abominable those sins are, but that's okay. I'm going to remove those clothes, get those clothes off of him and put new clothes on them. And that's the imagery that's being given to us here when it says that you would put the clean turban on his head in verse 5, clothe him with the garments, is he's putting, being put back right to his rightful place. He doesn't say, well, because you made yourself filthy, you know, you're just going to have to be over here for a while and I'm not going to let you, you know, be a priest anymore. No, the imagery is put him right back in there. This is the image of what God is doing for his people. I know you're defiled. I know that you're wretched. I know that your sins are deep. I know how awful it is, but I've come to cleanse. I've come to heal. I've come to remove those things. And the imagery for us is to help us understand that we haven't permanently ruined ourselves before God. We haven't permanently ruined ourselves before God. Your life is not too far gone for God. And probably the best picture of this is I think something that all of us wish we could do sometimes, especially on certain days, that you could just kind of hit a restart button. I just want to start over today. This, this didn't go. Let's just try that again. That's the imagery that's being given to us here. He says there in verse 7, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you will have rule over my house and charge over my courts. I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Everything is put back on him again. You can have the access again. You can have the right clothes again. You can have the privilege again. You can belong again. It is a restart. I know that you are filthy and gross. I'm going to put the new clothes on you. I'm going to put you back in your rightful place and you can restart as my people. And I just need you now to listen to me. Walk in my ways 
and keep my charge, follow what I say, and you can have that restart. You can have that right of access. So I hope you're appreciating this reversal imagery that's here. That it's not too late. It's not too much. It's not too filthy. You're not too far. But that the whole thing that God has done is he has come to say, I can make the filthy clean. And I know how gross you think your filth is, but I'll clean it. I'll clean you off. I'll give you new clothes. I'll put you back in your right place. Now, one of the big, I think, hanging questions that would happen throughout the scriptures and even happens here is really asking the question, how's God going to do that? How is it right for this high priest with all of his filth to just get to trot right back out there and go back serving God again? Why why does he get to be restored to his rightful place? He's gross. It's filthy. Satan's accusing him and saying, look, he's gross and filthy. And God is saying, that's okay. I'm going to clean him. Well, how is that going to happen? Look at verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch and behold on the stone that I have set before Joshua on a single stone with seven eyes. I will engrave its inscription declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. All right, big images here about what's going to happen. How is this going to take place? How can the filth be dealt with? Notice the imagery says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my servant the branch. Now you might go, why is this Christ messianic figure called a branch? Strange name. But that is a term that is used in prior prophecies because it is trying to give you a picture almost like a family tree of sorts. And in scriptures, David is considered essentially the trunk of a tree. And one of his children, one of the branches that come off the tree is going to be a righteous king who is going to save the world of their sins and reign forever. And that's why he gets that term, branch. He's going to be this offshoot that comes from David. And that's what's being pictured here. Here is this offspring of David who's going to arrive. And when he arrives, he's going to do something so amazing that verse 8 gives the picture. There's going to be this monument stone with an inscription set up on it and what it says on the stone is that the sins the iniquities of the people were all taken away in a single day what a prophecy the filth of the nation and the filth of the people would all be removed in a single day And I think it is so important as we capture this moment and think about what God is doing and sending his servant and what would be inscribed is that there would be one who would be this branch who would remove sins in a single day. That that is what all of the scriptures was pointing to about what the cross would accomplish. The cross is this single day moment when 
the filthiness, the grossness of the sins that we have committed that are standing before God, that cause us to be worthy of accusation, those clothes are removed and clean clothes are put on us. And not only are clean clothes put on us, we are put back to our rightful place. We're able to enjoy access to God again and status before God as his children. And here is this prophecy how it would all happen in just one single day, in a single moment. The Apostle Paul said it like this. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Here, how is God going to be just and rescue people and be faithful to his covenant that he is going to bless the whole world? It's attested by the law and the prophets. We're reading one of those places in the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here is the we all have the filthy clothes. There's not one of us who can stand before God and not have Satan pointing his finger at us and saying, do you see all the filth that is on these people? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I have just as much filth on me as you have on you. And we're all standing before God gross. And we all have a problem with these filthy clothes. But here's what God does. They're justified freely by his grace through the redemption That is in Christ Jesus. Here is this picture that in a single day the branch would come. And rather than there being the condemnation that is deserved to us because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have the filthy clothes. Instead, there can be justification by grace. God presented him, speaking of Christ, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. Some translations will say propitiation some translations sacrifice of atonement god is putting forward christ as him as this place of mercy place of atonement he will be the place where these sins can be dealt with that's what zachariah is imaging and that's what paul is talking about what does that do it's demonstrating god's righteousness his faithfulness He's keeping his word and promise that he's going to bless the world and deal with people's sins and rescue them because in his restraint, God passed over sins previously committed. I wish I could do 30 separate minutes right here on that line right there. I will say this. If you grew up in the pews, your perception of God is probably skewed differently than how God wants you to see him. And here's what I mean. That line does not say, here we are in all of our filthiness and grossness, and God was barbecuing people left and right until finally God came, until Jesus came along, and then whew, we all are not barbecued by God anymore. In his restraint, he passed over those sins. Every page of this book is showing a gracious God who is tolerating filthy people 
who are worthy of judgment. Every page and every person. If this were to be accurate to the justice of God, it should say somebody's name and God killed him for his sin. Next. That's not what God did. Sometimes we have this perspective of God that that's the way he is. He's just looking to barbecue you. No, he's not. He's looking to rescue. He's looking over, passing over, having restraint, holding back what is just so that he could put forward Jesus as the mercy seat, as the place of atonement. And thus, verse 26, presenting, he presented Christ to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify those who have faith in Jesus. This is how God could still maintain justice and still show grace. The branch. Because as you read those first seven verses of Zechariah 3, here he is, he's filthy, he's full of gross clothes. You can't just say, okay, give him clean clothes, it's all okay. That's not just. How is God going to give people the clean clothes they need because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and at the same time be just, right, and fair? He puts forward Christ, the branch, as the place of mercy. Through the cross, that would be the accomplishment that God has put forward for us. And I want you to notice a little bit more of what happens. Did you notice verse 10 sounds really strange in Zechariah 3? And in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And you read that and go, I don't have a fig tree. I don't have a vine. I don't know what we're talking about right now. If you're telling me that now what we're going to do after we've had these clean clothes put on us is we're all going to sit under fig trees. Don't have one. Neither do I. What is this talking about? This is a, a metaphor. It's an image that speaks of peace and prosperity. It's used in the days of King Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 4, when Solomon takes the throne and establishes Israel and establishes that kingdom and puts it to its greatest point, there is a description that's given there in verse 25 that says, and all the inhabitants sat under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And you go, really? Did they really all have a vine and a fig tree? No. But that's a picture of peace and provision and prosperity. That here all the people now under the reign of Solomon We're enjoying the peace and the prosperity of God. And notice what's being pictured here. Is not only is that something that we enjoy as we come by faith to the cross. And enjoy what God has to offer us. That verse 10 also says we're inviting everybody else to enjoy the same thing. We're saying to the world you can get rid of your filth. You can get rid of those dirty clothes. You can press the restart button. You can enjoy a new life, new access, new relationship. You can have peace and prosperity with God yet again. The cross was to be a monument to this moment. When it says there in Zechariah 3 and verse 9 about this inscription, I believe that's referencing the cross. The cross is going to be this great inscription to the whole world. 
Sins removed in a single day. It just stands there as a monument. Your filth taken away. And not only is it a monument then to that moment, but verse 10 is saying it's a monument to the movement. That we go tell everybody else. You want clean clothes too? You want to sit under a vine and fig tree, peace and prosperity? Enjoy relationship with God again? Enjoy all that God has to offer? It's not too late. That you can enjoy that with God. Listen to how, again, how the Apostle Paul says it. And it's hard for me not to think that he may does not have at least some of this prophecy of Zechariah 3 in mind when he starts this grand conclusion. What then are we to say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? You, know, you have to imagine that imagery where here is Joshua, high priest, filthy clothes, just gross. And God is for him. Well, if God's for him and rebuking Satan, who's going to be against him? And that's what he's saying. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? If he's willing to look at the gross, filthy clothes that we wear and decree, take them off, put the new clothes on. Then would we suggest that there is something God would not do for us? He just did the grossest thing of all. I feel like that with my kids. If I'm willing to clean up all of that grossness when you were an infant... You don't think I'm going to be kind to you about other things? I just went through the ringer. This is easy. I don't think that's what God's saying to us. Do you see what I had to do for you? Do you think I'm going to hold something back now? Do you think I'm not going to give you all things? Do you think I'm not going to give you eternity and give you access and let you be children of God? I've cleaned the filth off of you. Of course I will. Thus the next question. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? This is why I think Zechariah is in mind. What's Satan doing? Accusing, accusing, accusing. He's just accusing all of us. He's accusing Joshua. He's accusing everybody. That's his name. He's the accuser. That's his job. He's accusing everybody. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. God's the one standing there going, take the cl- those dirty clothes off. And put the clean clothes on. Satan accuses again, take those filthy clothes off. Put the clean clothes on. But they're so filthy, that's all right. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Take those clothes off. Put the clean clothes on. Who's the one who condemns? Who's going to be able to condemn us now? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. Now, why is that so important? Why is Jesus raising from the dead so important? Notice where he goes with that. Yeah, he died, crosses the monument, crosses the monument to the moment of removing sins in a single day. The cross is a monument to the the movement of going out and telling everybody else to enjoy peace and prosperity with God. Your sins have been taken away. 
But even more, the Apostle Paul says, he's been raised. Why is that important? Because he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So as some more dirt gets on you, Jesus says, get that dirt off too. We strive to live for God and some more dirt gets on. And the Apostle Paul says, he rose from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews says, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. The Apostle Paul says he's just there interceding. Anytime Satan comes along and says, there's filth, here's Jesus interceding. That's on my account. Let's take that off. New clothes, new clothes, new clothes, new clothes. This is our hope that we have for us. Number one, please. You're not too filthy. I'm not sure there's a more defiling picture in scripture than this one. It intends to invoke stomach turning horror to read. It is awful to think about. You're not too filthy. You're not too far gone. You're not too messed up. You're not too broken. You're not unredeemable. It's not impossible. It's not too late. This picture should always remind us of that. You're not too far gone and it's not too late. You simply need to put your faith in Jesus. And Zechariah shows you what that looked like. Walk in my ways, listen to my charge, and then you can sit under your own vine and you're under your own fig tree peace and prosperity with God. He tells you what the picture is. Once you've been cleansed of the filth, listen to what I have to say. Follow my ways. Your ways made you gross and filthy and messed up your life, making you want to hit the restart button. I'm giving you the chance to restart. Now let me show you the way to live so you don't need to do that again so that you can walk before the Lord. And enjoy his charge and enjoy what God has for you. You can enjoy freedom, purpose, satisfaction, hope, rest, meaning in life. If you'll just come to the cross and give your filthy garments over and let God cleanse you. No accusation can be made against you if you're covered by the blood of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a stunning image that you have given to us. And Lord, thank you for reminding us about how deep your love is for us. For truly only a loving father would take the filth that is on us and clean us up. Give us new clothes and return us to our rightful place of being sons and daughters of yours. Lord, thank you for your willingness to send your son 
to send your son to live among people who are filthy, people who did not respect or honor your son, that you would offer your son to die in a cruel death and then raised from the dead so that you would be able to have a way to forgive us as he intercedes for us. Lord, thank you for the cleansing that you offer. Lord, thank you for always reminding us and telling us that it's not too late and that we're not too far away. God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts these words. Because, Lord, sometimes we can feel like we are too dirty and we can feel like we are too far. We can feel like we've done too much. And, God, I pray that you would give us hearts that seek you, that seek to repent, that seek to turn our lives around so that we would walk in your ways and keep your charge. Lord, thank you for the moment of the cross. Thank you for all that it means to us. Thank you for the forgiveness that we enjoy. Thank you for his resurrection so that as we continue to strive to serve you and fall woefully short that we have him interceding on our behalf. Thank you for that great high priest. And Lord, I pray here this morning for any here who have not given their lives to you, who have not turned in their filthy garments and enjoyed the hope and peace and prosperity that you offer, that you would touch their hearts today. God, make this be the moment when they give their lives to you to turn from sin and to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. Sometimes it's fun to bring our Sunday night series into the mornings because, man, there are some powerful pictures about what God intends for us to see about how much he loves us. Invitations to you today. Turn away from sin. Repent of those things. See the filth of your life and the filth of the past. Dedicate yourself to walking a new way and a new path with him, confessing him to be the son of God, your Lord and Savior, whom you will obey and follow, having your sins washed away today in baptism. We want you to do that. If you're ready to do that, you can let somebody know beside you. Let me know afterward, or you can come forward while we stand and while we sing.